0: mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices message and data rates may apply bank of america and a member fdsc
1: coming up on today's show shuffles shutdowns and delays oh my everybody and welcome to another episode of the what's good games podcast your source for video game news commentary analysis and funny stuff every friday i am one of your hosts andrea renee joined by the blonde wonder who's maybe not so blonde right now miss Brittany brombacher
2: oh hello you called me out yeah i was talking to one christine steimer who is contemplating doing something different with her hair and it inspired me got a wild hair at my ass and here i am bringing the 2000s back early 2000s if
1: you are watching at youtube.com slash What's good games? Do not adjust the color of your television, ladies and gentlemen. Brittany's hair (laughs) is (laughs) indeed that dark. I love it. I think it looks amazing. It's very kind of like Mm -hmm. Morticia, you know, like Adams Family vibes, kind of. Yeah,
2: thank you. It's fun. It's something different. I used as you both know, I used to have like black and blonde in my hair for a very long time, and then red, and then I added a lot of red. So I'm not going to go all balls to the walls, but I'm just going to. What you don't want to join me,
1: and we could be like both red.
2: I mean, red hair is really hard to get out, Um,
1: and I learned that the hard way. Yes, it is. There's a reason (laughs) why I've never changed my (laughs) hair color. It is what it is. The only way that it's going to change is if I go fully gray, which I'm well on my way. Anyway, Mrs. Rihanna Manuel Pena is here as well. Hello, hello. Good to see you as well. We have to give you a big congratulations. Everybody, a round of applause. The Spawnies were fantastic. If y'all missed it, please go check out the VOD over at Twitch.tv slash Spawn on Me. You can find it in Rihanna's channels, in Khalif Adam's channels. You guys crushed it. How do you feel? Thank you. Oh,
0: It was such a great experience. And there was so much energy in the chat, which helped a lot because, you know, it was it's always a nervous thing putting something out into the world when you've worked on it very much in secret. And it was wonderful. We had some really great collaborators this year. Shout out to Xbox, Zynga's Black ERG, and also the team over at Project Amplify for supporting and, of course, Twitch for sponsoring again this year. It was really, really wonderful. And ah, it was so great filming over at the Spare Bedroom Studios with Kind of Funny. They are incredible hosts thank you for letting us play in your bedroom and uh getting a show done because it was way way prettier this year than last year for sure
2: you did such a phenomenal job and like Ka did too but i heard his slander about chocolate chip cookies no more raisin cookies so i will i'll save my (laughs) slander for you yeah you just did such an incredible job you should be just really proud of yourself and you two just had such a great chemistry and it was so fun to watch i was just grinning the entire time. I loved, like you said, the higher production. You had the little interesting tidbits about the votes on the bottom. And oh, my God, the Paris segment (laughs) from Austin. (laughs) I lost it. That was so funny. Oh, my God. So good. Such a good the, show.
0: The best part about that is I watched the the raw footage from our, our good friend, Austin Creed, and his kids are actually the children that said, I ate Paris's food and I got sick. Oh my goodness. And watching him do multiple takes with them was so cute. Oh my God. It was a really funny day, but I'm glad we were able to pull that off. And then lining up Paris's host <laughs> segment for the next <laughs> award right after that was just chef's kiss. It's almost like Khalif did that on purpose. <sighs> oh my yeah, God, that was so inspired for sure. But yeah, GrabLabs did an incredible job of integrating all that data. We, I didn't know that was going to be included in the show. So it was really cool seeing because there was a lot of data. And it, I love that kind of stuff. I really love stats. So it was it was cool to see the participation. And hopefully we can get even more next year at the Spawnies.
1: Yes. Well, bigger and better every year. That's the plan. Kicking off Black History Month with a bang. Yes, we are officially in February now. Welcome everybody to the second month of 2023. Can you believe it? We are already through January. It's done, it's over. No, no, <laughs> just fully
0: in denial. <laughs> absolutely i can't it still feels like 2021 honestly yeah
2: we're gonna be talking about e3 here in a minute and i was just thinking about e3 and the last e3 you went to was in 2019 but it feels like it was last year but that was somehow like what three years ago now mm-hmm. and
1: i don't know it'll what's be going four on. years Ah, oh, shit fuck see see mm-hmm. none of us are okay yeah. no just throw no. that out there I'm yeah. <laughs> definitely not okay <laughs> the pandemic was too long everybody but Rihanna mentioned it is the start of Black History Month, so hopefully y'all are out there supporting fantastic Black creators. Where you always tend to spotlight people on your
0: Twitter thread. Are you doing that again this year? I will be, yeah. So today, which is Wednesday when we're recording, I put out a, a call for people to jump on a Twitter thread that I posted and send me your little or lesser known Black History Month facts and figures. I want to learn more, right? Like most of my Black history was taught at the house because it wasn't part of my schooling growing up. So I highlighted Robert Smalls, who is a former U.S. representative, also a slave captain, and really great overall individual who led a lot of people to freedom. So yeah, let me know who or what you want to highlight for Black History Month, and I will be happily highlighting that on my feeds.
1: you love to see it. We also want to thank this month's Patreon producers, Chewy's Godson, Alex Rogopoulos, Faris Atiyah, Justin Foshi, and Punctified, And welcome to our Patreon community, Bobby. And we've got a lovely new podcast reviewer. We do, from Blitz Eileen,
2: who says, This is one of my regular podcasts. Blitz Eileen, I don't know why I'm giving you this voice. Apologies. <laughs> Great podcast for getting up to speed with gaming news, with funny hosts, and consistently awesome guests. Love me some gaming podcasts, but it's nice to have women's voices consistently analyze the industry and in such a fun way, too. Oh, you're from Great Britain. I should have given you an accent.
1: Oh, no. Or, <laughs> or maybe not. <laughs> maybe be, not. Maybe no, you not, okay right? that Today's show is <laughs> also brought to you by <laughs> Me Undies and Shopify. And normally, this is where I would say, I'm going to tell you about that later. And don't worry, I will tell you about them later. But we also wanted you guys to know that you might be hearing some additional ads on the show. In fact, maybe by the time you got to this message, you've already heard one. Much like Twitch and YouTube and other platforms out there where content exists, there's going to be ads inserted into the podcast that are just there. They just exist. And we just wanted to make you guys aware of it because obviously we do sponsors here on What's Good Games. They help support the show. But this other form of advertising will help support the show as well. And this is an awesome opportunity for me to remind you, if you hate hearing those ads of any kind, you can get the show ad-free, 100%, no ads, at patreon.com slash what's good games for just 5 bucks a month. It's like the cost of a Starbucks. You can't even get a happy meal for that price anymore. Trust me, I tried. (laughs) It's like a dollar twenty-five an episode. Yeah. It's less than eggs. It is less than a dozen eggs right now. That is or or just ever, because eggs are expensive. But just wanted to let y'all know. So thank you for supporting the show and for understanding that everything you hear that is on the podcast helps support the podcast. Now let's get to some news as Brittany alluded to, we got some information about what's happening at E3, the Electronic Entertainment Expo, later this year, in June, in fact. So IGN reported on this exclusive story that the first physical event in four years, as a reminder, four years (laughs) it's been, (laughs) was supposed to be a triumphant return for the trade show, an opportunity to recapture some of the excitement of the past conventions, which historically have been major showcases for the games industry. However, it appears that will be without three of its most important draws. Now, I'm going to stop right here and say this kind of feels a little disingenuous because PlayStation hasn't been at E3 for a while now. Like, they've had their main booth inside the show floor gone. Not as long as EA, but, you know, so saying PlayStation's not coming to E3 is like a, okay, well, that's not really that surprising. The surprising part here is that allegedly, according to this story, according to IGN sources, Neither Xbox nor Nintendo will be at E3 as well. Now, last time that there was an E3 Xbox was at the Microsoft Theater in Chick Court, which was at L.A. Live, this little outdoor shopping area that's right next to the Los Angeles Convention Center. So they were technically at E3, but not at E3, if that makes sense. So you could go mm-hmm. experience Xbox stuff with your E3 badge, but it just wasn't inside the convention hall. Now, Nintendo is the big one though, because Nintendo has never not had a presence on the show floor at E3. They've obviously been doing directs for quite some time. Xbox even stole their direct name with their developer direct. <laughs> That's right, I'm calling you out there. <laughs> but them not having a booth to me is, is pretty shocking.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of also in the mindset of like, what would they show? Like, in the sense of what would justify. I mean, Zelda's going to be out by then. And that's kind of like it as far as big Nintendo releases. So I think this just comes down to what we've talked about before is we've learned through the pandemic publishers have learned during the pandemic that you do not have to have a major presence in order to sell copies of your game, in order to be successful, in order to get eyeballs on your presentation. Like it certainly helps to be like adjacent to the event, which is why Microsoft will still be doing something around the weekend before. Right. It's pretty much what Phil Spencer has confirmed now, whether or not it's officially part of E3, another story. I'm not surprised and I think I'm just just bummed. I'm just bummed is what this is. It's it's not surprising to me in the least, but I'm just sad that I think E3 and the future of it is just not going to be good.
1: <laughs> well, it's just not going to be good. I don't want to draw that conclusion yet. My gut tells me this year is just an unlucky year for the ESA and Reed Pop to be bringing E3 back. Because as we've seen across several industries, but most notably for us as people who work in video games, there's been widespread cutbacks, layoffs, people losing their jobs, people withdrawing advertising dollars and marketing spends. We're going into a downturn economic time period, and I'm guessing that has a huge factor in why these companies are not going to be showing i mean we just got news about the major layoffs that happened at microsoft among many other tech companies that have announced tens of thousands if not more are have been laid off and will be laid off in the coming months i'm sure nintendo is also feeling that financial pressure of the global markets right now and they're looking at it going well if our big daddy the legend of zelda tears of the kingdom is coming out in may Does it make sense for us to spend literally millions of dollars to fly staff to the United States to set up a booth and to do an experience when we don't have anything else really major to show? They've already said that we should not expect new hardware despite everybody chanting about Switch 2. They were pretty clear about it. So if something was to come later in the year, I'd be surprised. But it felt like they were like, stop thinking you're going to get new hardware. It's not happening in 2023. So then you're right, Brittany. It's like, what are they making that incredible spend on? I think it's probably wiser for them to save people's jobs than for them to have a booth
0: at E3. Without doing too much, you know, postulation and trying to guess the future, right? I wonder what this means for everyone else who will still be going E3 because someone is. Right. Like it's not that every publisher and developer has completely abandoned the concept. So my hope, at least, you know, what my (laughs) my rose tinted glasses see is, you know, other developers and maybe smaller titles in studios get an opportunity to have a bigger stage, like take up more room, have more lion's share of the news cycle. And of course, Xbox is going to do something around that time. We're going to hear about something to do with Starfield during that that week, I'm sure of it. But I like to think of this as like a net positive for the widespread, larger landscape of people who are making games if we maybe distill a little bit of that energy across other entities, and it's not always focused on these three. Because yeah, if they have th- less to say and they have different places they want to say it, then then that may be actually a net good.
2: Yeah, and I wanted to just be clear. Like, I want E3 to succeed. In a perfect Brit world, it would go back to where it was back in the heyday, right? Where you had all those big conventions. You had you had PlayStation and Xbox right across the aisle from each other. Like, like 2013 that was
1: always so- E3, right? Yeah,
2: that was so great. But I mean, yeah, look at, you know, I think it was in 2018, Xbox had Mixer on the show floor and that was it, the main show floor. And then they did their stuff away. EA is like ski. We don't know what they're up to. And I mean, we've even kind of had conversations like, well, what does this mean for what's good presence? Do we need to be there all the days to cover everything? And you could look at that. Well, maybe there's not as much to cover. So maybe we don't need to be there as often or as, as many days as we once were. And I'm, I'm just worried like the big, it's expensive to go to E3. It's expensive to send people to go to E3 and you have Mm -hmm. to look at your ROI. And if you don't have those major first party publisher titles there to cover and to get that ad revenue from the clicks, from the podcast revenue, whatever, you have to question it. And that's the reason I'm concerned. That said, like I've played a lot of some of my favorite games. I think of Kingdom Come Deliverance. I played that at E3 for the first time and that's an indie game. And it was one of my favorite things. And was it not for E3? I probably never would have played it. So it's not a question of, is E3 still important and will continue to remain important I think it will I'm just worried that this shift is going to it's it's kind of going to be a slippery slope and if it needs to become like the next PAX in a sense that's okay too I just hope it sticks around and whatever needs to happen like please make it happen read pop like just please keep this baby <laughs> afloat <laughs> I love E3 so much.
1: I'm with you that I love E3. I think if it's going to become another PAX, then it should just go away because we already have PAX. We don't need another PAX, especially when we have PAX West in August leading into the holiday marketing period. I really hope that this is just a temporary thing. I'm hoping that the publishers are going to see the value of E3 and come back because otherwise it's like, do we need another one? And I think the thing we have haven't talked about yet that is people are memeing already is Summer Games Fest. I saw oh, yeah. lots of Jeff Keeley faces going around this week when that news came out of like, are these people showing at Summer Game Fest instead? And we don't know, right? We do know that Jeff Keeley, as a producer has been in the gaming industry for multiple decades, has relationships with all of these people, Is it possible that instead of showing with the ESA that they're showing with Summer Games Fest? Yes, it's not a non-zero chance, as my husband likes to say, but I think it's an unlikely chance that they would withdraw their relationship with the governing body that manages the relationships with Washington, meaning the legalities of working with the United States government in the video games business, which they have to maintain relationships with. I don't think that they would sever that to go show something... Jeff Keighley show and then not show at E3. I I think that that would be an unwise decision. And I don't see why any of those partners would do that, given their longstanding relationship with the ESA. I truly think this is a, hey, the C-suite said... We got cut back and if people are losing their jobs, it's not really a good look for us to be going to E3 and setting up shop and having a fun booth and kind of gallivanting around and partying when we have to lay off like 10,000 people, you know?
2: Yeah, we saw this this trend starting back even way before the pandemic with Nintendo. They stopped doing their stuff. They always had a presence, but they stopped doing their press conferences and EA, like we've said. So I think this year will be telling to see. I'm very curious to know what the future of this is going to look like, but I think again, They've just – a lot of these publishers have found, like, we don't have to make this huge major spend in order to see some positive ROI
1: and to make a lot of fucking money. Yep. All right. Well, let's continue on with the news. But first, a word from this week's sponsor. This episode
2: of What's Good Games is brought to you by Me Undies. You know that feeling you get when your crush texts you unexpectedly? Or when you make powerful prolonged eye contact with that cute barista at your local coffee shop? That's how it feels wearing the new limited edition Me Undies Valentine's Day collection. Add some heat to your V Day with Me Undies and get 25% off of your first purchase. Plus, get free standard shipping and free returns when you go to MeUndies.com slash WGG. So we've talked about MeUndies quality on this show, I feel like, since the dawn of time. And I am now into organized TikTok. Organized talk, maybe, is what the cool (gasps) kids call it. And I've I've been inspired. I'm so excited for you. (laughs) I have gone on a mission. I am a new woman now. And one of those things involved cleaning out my underwear drawer because I will admit I have not touched that thing in God knows how many years. But – Let me tell you, every time I found a piece or a pair of me undies, bralettes or underwear, that was the first thing I kept. I put that in a very special pile to make sure I didn't mix it up with my old stuff because the quality of that stuff, it keeps everything in place. It's so comfortable and it doesn't give you a wedgie. It doesn't split you into like three parts. You know what I mean? So you have to like wear their underwear, feel it to believe it. And we've talked about their onesies all the time. Like we don't need to keep praising, singing their praises, but we will. It's as good as we make it sound because love is supposed to be fun and whether you love someone else or just yourself it's usually a good time that's why me undies has super comfortable and cute undies bralettes loungewear and more and a flirty new prints for this v-day season can confirm check out their website really really cute stuff comfort is sexy so get matching with someone you love or just match with your favorite ball of fur (laughs) for the cutest pics anyone has ever seen available in sizes extra small to 4x they have something for every booty to fall in love with MeUndies has a great offer for our listeners. Get 25% off of your first order and free U.S. shipping right to your door. To get 25% off of your first order, free U.S. shipping, and to chat with their incredible Cheek Squad about any questions or sizing concerns, go to MeUndies.com slash WGG. That's MeUndies.com slash WGG.
1: Continuing on with the news, we have some, I don't want to say sad, but a little bit unfortunate news. I mean, some of it is sad as we progress through these next couple of stories. But starting with the unfortunate and then going into the sad news, (laughs) Star Wars Jedi Survivor is being delayed. I just want to start before we read the details from IGN with saying the fact that they came out so aggressive after announcing this game – at the Game Awards <laughs> and then being like, we're coming out in March. I was like, but why? Why are you doing that to yourself? <laughs> uh, so the game has been officially delayed to April 28th. was originally supposed to come out in March. The statement, according to IGN, is in order for the team to hit the respawn quality bar, provide the team the time they need, and achieve the level of polish our fans deserve. We've added six crucial weeks to our release schedule. Now to launch globally on April 28th.
2: I feel like this also benefits them from a release schedule perspective. I was looking, and before, they were just going to be one week before Resident Evil 4 Remake. And maybe I'm a little biased here, but, like, that game was going to crush it and eat everything around it. Now it releases the same day as Dead Island 2, Ooh. which is kind of interesting. I think and Ooh. Dead Island 2, I feel like, is the one that if, there's, if they're going to make a move, it's going to be Dead Island 2. Because, I mean, let's just be real. I and want that now's the too. time to make that move now's the time to make it's a good reason it's a good reason to do it and then you have two weeks before zelda you gotta get it in before zelda you don't put that bitch out after so it's fine i think this will be okay but like you said andrew it's that thing of like don't announce a hard release date when it is because the We just see this happen so, so often these days, but whatever, we're all numb to it anyway.
1: I get that from a marketing perspective, they have to put a goalpost at some point, like the production team. I'm sure all the producers on the game are like, listen, like we can't just keep like letting the game be in development forever. That's just not the way it works. Like we have to finish the game. And I get that. But a six week delay means they clearly ran into some bugs in the final QA pass. Yeah. That they're like, we could launch this game and maybe do a day one patch, but wouldn't it be better for all of us and and the people buying this game if we don't do that if we just fix it first? <laughs> And we said, yes, yes, it would.
2: It would be great.
1: <laughs> yes, it would, Thank it you. Because wasn't
2: that one of the main complaints about the last Jedi game is that it was pretty buggy. Only thing I remember about that one is the map sucked. I love the game, but the map sucked. Oh. But I know there were some problems with um, bugs and whatnot. Uh, that's so.
1: very possible. I don't recall my time being buggy. I ran into a couple things like you do when you have any kind of open world like situation. But There's a certain amount of jank and bugs that I think we as gamers in 2023 Come to expect from an open world experience. And then there's some that you're like, hey, this is not okay, bro. Like, you should have delayed the game. Mm. Anywho, progressing into our next sad story. Rihanna, you want to take this one?
0: Apex Legends Mobile is shutting down after less than a year.
1: Wah, wah, oh, My little violin.
0: Can you hear it? It's small, <laughs> but it's there. This comes from Engadget. So, Electronics Arts says it's shutting down Apex Legends Mobile less than a year after releasing the game on iOS and Android. Now The company is also abandoning Battlefield Mobile. I am, of course, less connected to Battlefield, but still another violin. And closing Industrial Toys, the studio behind that game. So they had already delisted Apex Mobile, which was the Apple iPhone game of the year in 2022.
2: And Google, too. yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was doing great. I really liked it. And they're halting all in-game purchases with any real money. The game will still be playable for a few more months until the servers are switched off on May 1st, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And they will not be refunding any real money purchases, but users can request refunds from the App Store or the iPlay Store. For Battlefield, it was released in beta tests back in November 2022, but they're now just ceasing development. So the quote that we have here is that as the industry has evolved and our strategy to create a deeply connected Battlefield ecosystem has taken shape, we decided to pivot from the current direction to best deliver on our vision for the franchise. So that's the statement from EA's website. Pour one out for Apex Legends and Battlefield Mobile. Mobile gaming is great, y'all. Just give it it's, a chance. There, it's a head-scratcher. There yeah. There's
2: more from Andrew Wilson in that call about how he... It sounds like they're trying to bring Apex back in some capacity. It's not probably going to be the the mobile game that you knew, but it sounds like they're trying to do something that's some sort of connected experience. But clearly, for whatever reason, bring in the game, because it was as direct as a translation over, right, Rhi? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's
0: like playing the game. There are, of course, very specific differences for the mobile interface but also different characters that you can play as in in the the PVP game. But yeah, it's Apex. It's what you get on the console.
2: Maybe it'll come back in some other capacity someday.
0: I hope so. I yeah. hope so. And I was going to give Battlefield Mobile a better probably a better fair shot than I gave other Battlefields because <laughs> I really love the mobile experience that EA has put together with Apex, but You know, we'll see in the future if there's something else there.
1: There's something Mm -hmm. here that's not being said, and I want to know what it is. Because this feels like a weird story to tell. Like, two of their biggest franchises in a category that's clearly succeeding on mobile, if you look at Fortnite and Call of Duty and how both of those games are doing— Apex is widely regarded as one of the best battle royales that's out there. Respawn, one of the best shooter studios. Obviously, the tumultuous development with Battlefield over the past six to eight years has been, you know, less than desired. But that franchise is still incredibly strong and has a lot of very talented people at it. I don't understand this story. There's something... Missing.
0: <laughs> There's something missing here about why these both of these games were shut down. Yeah. And so soon after release, too, like, and proven, like, it's it was doing really well, like, you're doing great. And
2: Yeah. So here's the three reasons why he said. The one is the level of immersion and complexity to Apex gameplay, which is very much what Apex is about. And it didn't translate quite as well as we had hoped on mobile devices. He said that while Apex Legends Mobile was engaging core players and had initially attracted new users, it didn't, quote, retain the more casual user at the rate we needed it to. And finally, he said that it was especially challenging mobile market with, quote, changing player personalities. Hmm. If they
0: wanted more people than they had, I understand, but like
2: it just wasn't making them enough money. Let's call it and say what it is. Yeah, it was still great. It must be
1: so expensive to maintain that they had to, you know, as Brittany has been mentioning ROI, which, by the way, is return on investment, to make sure that they can cover their costs. As I just talked about in the E3 story, widespread cuts are happening across the industry. So maybe this is EA's way of saying, hey, we got cuts coming and this is something that we just can't keep going. So that's a bummer. And, you know, pour one out for those mobile versions. And another sad story. This one, I think, kind of hits me a little bit harder because I have close friends at Iron Galaxy as a studio. And I I really enjoyed my time with Rumbleverse. So Iron Galaxy announced this week that their battle royale, brawler royale, I should say, is going to be shutting down this month. And publisher Epic Games is confirming that the service will be offline on February 28th and that all players who spent money in or on Rumbleverse are eligible for a refund with more details of the refund process set to be shared at a later date. But knowing how well Epic took care of everybody when they shut down Paragon. Don't worry if you spent money on Rumbleverse, you're going to get your money back. (sighs) This is a bummer. I had tweeted that I think Rumbleverse as a game was just too innovative for the mainstream Battle Royale audience, and I stand by that. Much like Andrew Wilson said about Apex Legend on mobile, that yes, our hardcore fans love it, but the casual player isn't really into this immersive experience that we're trying to provide and design I would say when you design a brawl royale a battle royale game around a fighting game metric and gameplay mechanic experience it's not gonna hit well with most people because fighting games are tough to play they take a lot of practice and they take you know dedication to learn and I think people sometimes just want to boot up Warzone and go like drive around and shoot stuff Sad.
2: It's hard because it's because it, you want to encourage this sort of innovation because I think it's really important for the industry. But like you said, it's, it's kind of hard to pitch that. We're not familiar with that. And we see this a lot in this industry where someone has such a bomb idea and it's such a good idea and well executed idea, but it's not something that people are familiar with. And that's unfortunately such a curse. And it sucks. Yeah. Because, yeah. Well, hopefully all those folks... Go join Google Stadia against- and Xbox
1: Connect in the games industry heaven in the sky for ideas that were <sighs> too good but oh. failed. Hopefully it yeah. comes back, though. They kind of left the door open. If you read Adam Boy's statement, he's one of the co-CEOs of Iron Galaxy. I had, quote, tweeted him. His statement kind of makes it seem like, hey, we put a lot of love into this concept and we really appreciate the people who fell in love with this game. We're not sending it out to pasture permanently, but for now it's going offline. And I'm like... Maybe. Maybe it could come back in another form at some point. So, fingers crossed. And some better news. Brittany, (laughs) would you please tell us about this new series coming to Amazon?
2: Yeah, this is kind of an interesting thing. So, a Tomb Raider TV series is coming from Amazon. But before we talk about that, we have to talk about this piece of information that comes from fellowshipoffans.com. Andrea, have you heard of this website? I feel like if anyone here has, it's you.
1: Yes, I have heard of this website.
2: Okay, good. I have not. (laughs) So, okay, apparently they have correctly reported on the Rings of Power plot lines in the past, so they have street cred. Embracer Group leased their Tomb Raider rights to Amazon for a deal that they can exclusively reveal as they, being Fellowship of Fans, approximately $600 overall package, making Amazon's second biggest commitment after purchasing the television rights to Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Now, how much did they pay for Tomb Raider? I'm trying to remember. I feel like they just made a profit. So
1: if that number... Is correct. It's definitely not just Tomb Raider. Remember that Embracer Group has over 200 IP that they own. Well over that, actually, now that I'm saying it out loud. Just THQ Nordic, I think, had over 200 IP. And Embracer Group also bought part of the rights to the Tolkien estate. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that within that deal, they bought additional story rights because – not to get too, like, push us up my glasses. Well, it's, it's into the weeds well, I, about the, like the, the, the lore of what's happening in the Rings of Power show on Amazon. But they have very specific things that they can – talk about in the Rings of Power Amazon show, IP-wise, and there's certain story and plot lines that they cannot develop and talk about. So if you're like, Uh why are some key characters and plot lines missing from the Rings of Power? It's because Amazon's IP rights, intellectual property rights, don't extend to those. (laughs) I had a very deep dive conversation about this with one Alexa Ray Correa, Uh, (laughs) the, the, (laughs) the de facto encyclopedia quite literally on everything in the Tolkien universe. So if if that number is correct, my gut tells me that potentially part of the rights that the Embracer group has, maybe they sold to Amazon so that they can then incorporate that. Because if you remember, maybe you don't because you don't care about the Rings of Power. Amazon committed to five seasons of the Rings of Power at a whopping price tag. So I would imagine that their showrunners are like, hey, can we get some more of the IP from the Tolkien estate? Because that would really help us out here
2: businessman it's a whole ass thing but um, tomb
1: raider sounds great let's do it oh yeah it does yeah.
2: Yeah, and so this comes from the Hollywood Reporter. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is getting into action at Amazon. The Emmy-winning Fleabag grad is writing a TV series based on the popular video game turned action movie Tomb Raider. So apparently, it's in the development stages, and she will not be starring, but she will be writing anyway. Like, I don't know who Phoebe is. I don't know what Fleabag is, but I'm sure there's a lot of people oh, out there. No. YouTube you probably. Uh, re, yeah, I watch Judge Judy. She, and that's about n- a she doesn't as I watch guess.
1: any television, but oh. I'm, that's that's fine. Yep, um, people out there know Read. Fleabag is fantastic yeah. tell the people okay, okay so this is good <laughs> this, is this is good news is, yes. okay good
2: Yes. <laughs> okay there you go <laughs> that's all um, you need to know she's a, now, she's a genius
1: te- her acting in Fleabag is phenomenal but yes. her as a behind the scenes or what they call below the line well technically she's above the line creative on like the TV writing side is like this is very good news for people mm-hmm. who are interested in a tomb raider property that's going to succeed (laughs) with a lara croft that's maybe not shitty (laughs) not to say that you know the performances have been shitty in the past but you know they haven't been oscar worthy and that's just facts everybody don't come for her don't at her (laughs) you can at me if you want to let's go (laughs) i will get into the comments with you about the performances of tomb raider bring it oh no (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> Andrea needs an outlet To vent her stress Please <laughs> at her So she can feel better
1: Oh, uh, I mean don't at me If you don't have Break good valid points You know I mean I guess you can at me And then I'll just ignore you Just being real and uh, Anyway Let's move on to What I hope will be Everyone's favorite portion Of the news this week Ugh Sit back, back. relax, loosen the pants, unbutton your shirt a couple of buttons because it's time for a little Brit's corner of Yakuza Lust and Love. Wow. Wow. Wow.
2: minds think alike.
0: Yes, girl. Yes.
2: (laughs) So we all need a little levity after that in case you missed it. And this is when I just carve out a section of the show and I just live my very best life. Andre Henry, don't even know him. All right, so let's go. So this is a really fun little article that comes from Rock Paper Shotgun. So Yakuza's chief producer is surprised by Majima's unrelenting sex appeal. And this is just like the best thing I've read in so long. (laughs) The best thing I've read in so long. So this is written from the perspective of Ed Thorne. So that's why it's gonna be in the first person perspective. I went to Berlin not too long ago to sample the emotional highs and lows of Like a Dragon Ishin, And now this is the game that's coming out next month that uh, is just now being localized and remade for the Western audience. So again, I had the chance to interview Rio Studios chief producer, Yuki Sakamoto, who revealed his favorite thing about the game, Goro Majima's undeniable sex appeal. Now, if you're like, who the hell is Goro Majima? He's daddy. He's my daddy from all the Yakuza series. He is this lovely Dude, right here that I have shown. This is Garomi. Yeah, I know. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. I got, like, half-naked pictures of him all around my office. Like, so this is just my best life right now. Okay. So... Ed asked him what Sakamoto's favorite thing was about Like a Dragon Ishin*, and this is fun. After a hmm and a slight pause, he answered the question with a slight grin on his face. After a second or two, the translator cackled uncontrollably, and I too started laughing at him laughing. Eventually, everyone regained their composure, and Sakamoto's answer was unraveled. When we made the original game, we had decided to make it an all-star cast, but we really didn't know who to include in the game. Britain out because there are tons of Yakuza characters, we were having trouble figuring it out. So I basically asked the fans who they liked the most and picked the popular ones. Well, when we finished the popularity contest, we did the announcement of the results in Shinjuku in, pl- in front of this place called Alta, a big gathering place. And I think we did the top 5 or top 10 people, and we had it on a big screen and it was like a big announcement. And when the number 1 person came up, and it was Majuma, there was just this huge horde of female fans that all screamed and screamed. And at that moment, we were <laughs> Like, wait a minute, girls like Majima this much? Is he that popular with the ladies? So there you have it. Sakamoto's favorite thing about Ishin is the fact that Majima is surprisingly popular with the ladies. This is just like the most wholesome and best thing, like I've said, I've read all week. So, and here's what I'm gonna call, though I'm gonna call absolute bullshit because oh. this is the studio ladies that has given us nothing but Majima crotch shots throughout the entire franchise.
1: I was gonna say, this can- feels disingenuous. You were, oh. you called it wholesome, and I'd be like, is he gaslighting us right now? Cause it feels like they know. <laughs> they know. <laughs>
2: they probably know, but it's probably like that wholesome, humble, like tee hee hee, you know, but like listen, you, these bastards know exactly what and I say bastards endearingly, because I, I love everybody on that team. It's all crotch shots all the time with Majima. He's walks around shirtless and it's all leather pants, all like Majima dick in your face. So they oh, know it's exactly. patch?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. He's
2: he's very handsome. In here, you can see his eye patch right there.
0: I'm yeah. looking at the pictures. I oh, know yeah. he's
2: great. Anyway, so I just thought this was really fun because, like, they know what they're doing. What did do they think was going to happen? Well, of course, we're going to fall in love with this guy, like we did. So, anyway, that makes me happy. Speaking of Ishin, I just wanted to briefly talk about this because I was invited to attend the preview event that happened not that long ago, but I got COVID, so I couldn't go. But I just want to briefly recap this little write up from Luke from IGN, who says, I played the remake for two hours and was bracket by a story mission where our main character, Sakamoto Ryoma, infiltrates a secret paramilitary organization. As you do. Along the way, though, I ambled into karaoke bars, chicken racetrack circuits, dance halls, and gambling dens, each populated with the exact sort of lovable miscreants that give the series its color. Nothing has changed. The madcap side quests, intricate relationship-building subsystems, and ridiculously fleshed-out minigames are all in place. And then building hmm. on that of USA Today, there is of side story called Another Life, which Kiryu takes on farm sim duties in a quiet plot with Haruka, his like little daughter, Ryoma can grow beans and other crops on a small farm and prepare the crops they grow for cooking via a Cooking Mama-style mini game. Eventually, the duo can make and deliver food in order to get some further trouble. And you can also come across a stray dog or cat in need of help, and you can take them in, treat them, and give them a place to stay. If I could drop my shore microphone right now, I would Are
1: you fucking <laughs> kidding me? I'm very me? glad you can't, though, as the person who has to buy the replacement. Don't. Drop it. (laughs) Thank you, patrons.
2: (laughs) Holy crap. This game is just... Oh, I am just so excited. And I think... I think this could be a really good entry point for anyone who maybe has seen that there's, you know, seven Yakuza games and you got two, uh, seven, eight now, no seven, eight, excuse me, you got Like a Dragon. Like a Dragon. uh, Yep. And then you have the two judgment games, but this is absolutely a standalone game. And while a lot of the characters are returning, they all have brand new names because it takes place in like the 1860s or something like that. So if this sounds like a quirky ass good time and you want to get to know my husband, girl, Majima, like just just think about this game. Just contemplate playing it. Do it for me. Okay, thanks.
0: Very much here for the cooking sim part of it.
2: Oh, how cool is that? That's like, cool. This game is so wacky. The series is so wacky. I'm just it's, so happy that I get to play. I'm it. not even surprised
1: ah! because like that's one of Yakuza's hallmarks is like the library of weird and wacky mini games that exist across the entire oh. franchise.
2: Oh yeah. Absolutely. There's literally nothing like it. And it is just like one of those games you have to play to like understand. So just just keep this game on your radar, friends. Do it for me. I'm
1: sad that they took it out of Game Pass. Yeah, I was like, Mm. I'll get to it. And then I didn't download it. And now it's gone.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to get the exact uh, release date. I think it is February 21st. Do they have a collection? Ooh, they used to do a package deal on Play. I don't know if they have a collection anymore. feels like
1: they should be making a collection that people can buy. I think right?
2: they had a remastered collection for maybe three and four and five back in the day. No, not no. know. If those. there's eight games,
1: they need to be, you know, one. Oh, like a whole ass? Yeah. Oh, no. Nah.
2: Wouldn't nah. that be good? I mean, that would be so good. Uh, I just love that it's. Made, it's, it has its foothold now over here in the West. I think putting the game on Game Pass back in the day was just in the beginning of 2020 was just one of the best decisions they ever could have made. And obviously, Lack like a dragon, everyone fell in love with that game. And I am just so happy. And I think this means more Yakuza games. We're getting another one this year. We know the man who changed his name at weird Kingdom ass Kingdom Hearts-ass title. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, now that I'm sufficiently turned on and aroused, we can move on from <laughs> the podcast. <laughs>
1: On that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about what we've been playing, including Britt's thoughts on persona that we didn't get to last week. We also will be talking about more Dreamlight Valley. It's gonna happen, everybody. <laughs> uh, stick with <laughs> us, and we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. It is the second segment of the What's Good Games podcast. Before we get to what we've been playing, I wanted to let you know we've got a message from one of our fantastic sponsors. This episode of What's Good Games is brought to you by Shopify. What's incredible to us about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify is there to empower you with confidence and control to revolutionize your business and take your business to the next level. It's your turn to get serious about selling, so you should try Shopify today. It's the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Shopify simplifies selling online and in-person so you can focus on successfully growing your business. You can be selling underwater basket weaving projects, or maybe you make custom enamel pins for your favorite Yakuza characters, or perhaps you're just making t-shirts for your Twitch channel. Whatever you're selling or whatever you're making, Shopify can help you get there bigger and faster because Shopify covers every sales channel from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform. And it even lets you sell across social media marketplaces like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Definitely guilty on clicking on some of those ads from time to time. And they're packed with industry-leading tools to ready and ignite your growth. Shopify will give you complete control over your business and your brand without having to learn any new skills in design or coding, because that's just going to take time away that you need to be focusing on your business. And thanks to 24-7 help and extensive business course libraries, Shopify is here to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash what's good all lowercase, everybody, that's important. Go to Shopify S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash what's good, all lowercase, to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash what's good. Ladies and gentlemen, before we start the second segment, I'm very excited that once again we get to shout out our elite patron names for the month. It feels like because of how we did the patrons with the holiday episodes that we haven't done this in a while. And we've got a lot of new patrons. So thank you to everybody who has joined us at patreon.com slash what's good games. Again, you can get the show ad free there among other amazing benefits like this, getting your name called out on the show, probably very wildly Mm -hmm. mispronounced, Mm -hmm. which is our hallmark specialty. So without further ado, let's thank some folks. Nice. All
2: right. Thank you. Ty the dude.
1: Guy on the stick.
0: Robert Griffin.
1: Ryan Sefel. Mike Adamson.
0: Bill Rosas.
2: Erskine James.
0: Casual Blasphemy. Trick 24.
2: Omega Buster.
0: Daniel Hall. Eric Z.
2: Dracos three, four, four, two. Ahem.
0: Chewy's got some. Excess Oddities.
2: Tara Bruno. Trent Berry. Sean I. Brian R. Johnson. Justin Foshi.
0: Patrick Landry. Pontified. Rob Leonard. Patrick Higgins.
2: Kenneth Stimmel, Trent
0: Pennington. Ferris
2: Jessica Bloom,
0: Patrick Waller. Matthew Goder. Nero Navarez. Chris Wang. Tyler McCall.
2: Adriana Rock Williams.
0: Shai Jackson Briss. Gary Peck. Dale Sun. Robert F. Fremering. Cara Milne.
2: Pete Shoemaker.
0: Wall of Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Teresa Ennert.
2: de <laughs> Mer, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Alex Rogopoulos. Andrew Cotton.
1: So, I, I, I'm sorry.
0: You, you tripped me up because
1: that's that's my mom and, <laughs> and you said the name in that way that everybody who doesn't know the last name says the name and there's nothing wrong with it. It just it gave you pause. We'll talk about it later. <laughs>
2: Um, I think we're on
1: Tickle Me Elmo Shell.
0: <laughs> we are.
1: Sorry, is it my turn? Yes. yes. Okay. Uh, Tickle Me Elmo Shell. <laughs> Elmo, we love you. Great. Thank you.
0: Geo <laughs> Corsi. Poor <laughs>
2: Andrea. She doesn't know where she,
0: she's tripped.
1: It's cool. <sighs> um, Ozzy.
0: <laughs> Nicole Humphrey. John Drake.
1: <laughs>
2: Trevor Donkey.
1: Thank you so much to all of our wonderful patrons for supporting us here at What's Good Games. So many of you have been ride or die with us after all of these long years. And your support means the world to us. If you want to help support our voices in video games and support this show, patreon.com slash what's good games is the place to do it now without further ado mm-hmm. let's talk about some video games Brittany which of your picks would you like to talk about first oh let me talk about
2: we were here forever so this is a game that I had the pleasure of playing before launch so thank you total mayhem games so I'm sure you've heard of we were here before like I think I've even talked about it on the show so you have we were here and then we were here too and then I think we were here together and then we were here forever so that those were are the four that are in this series. And this game actually came out on PC last May, and on Steam it has 7,500 very positive reviews, and it just came out to console this week. So the We Were Here games are very unique in that they are built specifically for co-op, And you need two people to play and you have to be communicating at all times. And this game works best if you're playing with someone who is not in the same room as you, which for most people, like that makes a lot of sense. And usually you don't have side by side TVs in your living room because you're not obsessed like I am. But the good news is I got this game code right around the time that I had COVID. So I was upstairs quarantined and Jason was downstairs living his best life away from me. So this was the perfect game for us to play together. and. What I love about it is that it's kind of like an escape room but you the two of you have to work together obviously to like solve puzzles. So, let's say I'm playing a game with 3 and we will both like have our screens in front of us and we're obviously in constant communication it does have a walkie talkie feature that you can use if you're playing with I think a stranger but for me it was just easier to play it over um, Xbox party chat but anyway so like Re would be like okay so I am in a room and I see three switches in front of me and they are yellow green and blue and above each switch is a certain symbol does that mean anything to you and then on my screen I would look around and be like okay actually yeah I have this book here which depicts a certain order of things and I think this." is the order you have to play yours in. And then it's just kind of that back and forth communication throughout the entire game. And you never know what's going to be a clue. And so it's always kind of fun to kind of put two and two together. There were some puzzles, though, I would say maybe it was because I had COVID brain that were, no, it's because Jason didn't have, he didn't have COVID. So, like, I can't blame it on that. They were just hard. They were just straight up required a lot of mental fortitude. And at the end of the workday for him and me having COVID, it was just sometimes we weren't in the mood to figure it out. So, there is an in game hint system that's built in, which is lovely. Or, you know, since this game has been on Steam since May, if you get stuck, you can just pull up a handy dandy guide and, you know, help your cheese your way through it, if you will. Again, this is one of my favorite co-op series. So if you've never played a We were here game before, I would absolutely recommend it. I think there's about 8 to 10 hours of gameplay in this one. And all the puzzles feel super unique, super different, and there're lots of variety, so it never feels like you're doing the same thing over again. There are a lot of times where you're playing like side by side, and so maybe you're going up a ski lift together that I was like, "Why is this ski lift taking like 4 minutes to get from point A to point B? This is so boring." And then I'm like, "Wait, wait, wait. No, no. I'm with someone right now we should be like talking and communicating like hanging out and, like i was like oh yeah like, you know you're just kind of. it just felt like a super long loading screen but there was purpose to it so yeah i would just say like we were here forever it's a very very good co-op game lots of positive reviews we've had a really good time with it just make sure you can communicate with someone in a healthy way and oh. maybe Oh, yeah, yeah, because, you know, because there's going to be times when you're frustrated because you're looking at something and you need the solution to something, but it's hard to, and they make it this way, where they make something purposefully hard to describe. You're like, I'm looking at an ostrich with like a donkey head, and that kind of looks like a dick over there, and that looks like a pair of tits, and it's like you just have to find the most colorful language to describe, you know, what you're looking at, and if you can find someone that picks up what you're putting down, like a partner or a best friend, you're going to have an easier Time. But yeah, just lots of healthy communication and lots of patience, I would recommend. With We Were Here. But it's a very fun co op game, so definitely
0: recommend checking that out. It sounds like uh, pretty similar to some Destiny Raid moments we've had, where you're just oh. trying to communicate what symbol you're looking at. And somebody calls out, It's an ostrich. You're like, What? <laughs> I mean, it sounds like Brittany's call outs are a little bit more
1: graphic than in the What's Good Guardians clan, <laughs> which is probably for the best. But yes. <laughs> Sometimes when you're trying to communicate what symbols look like, it's uh, it can get colorful. Low-hanging yeah, fruit.
2: Can. Yeah, you know, do I want to describe something that looks like an oval two circles or is it easier just to use slang for uh, you know what? You know, it's just, you know, there thankfully you Jason's mind thinks like mine, so it works out pretty well that way.
0: <laughs> so Britt, with Valentine's Day coming up here, oh. would you recommend this for someone with one of their partners or would you say it's a be careful in that situation <laughs> because of the difficulty?
2: Yeah, I mean, if you have a long-distance relationship. Relationship and the two of you have to be apart anyway. Like, yeah, sure. But you know, ideally on Valentine's Day, you'll spend it next to you. And you can play this game next to someone, but you can look at each other's screens and that kind of defeats the purpose. But mm-hmm. I would say this is a good game on building communication skills. Like, so if you want to, you know, level up your relationship. If you can withstand this game, you got this. You found the one. But no, it is a fun game to play together. But like, it was perfect for COVID, obviously, because we were separate anyway. But lately, we've been wanting to do some couch co-op stuff so we can actually be like in the same room as each other. So just something to a hurdle that you might have to cross. All right, so I also had the opportunity to play Persona 3, the remaster, on the Switch. Actually, I got this code before we went on our What's Good holiday break, or maybe it was during the holiday break, which I was so appreciative of because that was a long game. I think I clocked in around 80 hours or so. So Persona 3, it's on all the platforms, but I played on Switch. This is a remaster of Persona 3 Portable, which released in 2010. And so you had the original Persona 3, which released, I think, on PlayStation 2. And then you had Persona 3 FES, which I think was on PS2 and PS3. And then you have Persona 3 Portable. So it can get very confusing. But this was my first time playing Persona 3. I love Persona 4. I love Persona 5. So I was really excited to have an opportunity to hop in to 3 on my Switch. So this game, the TLDR, is that you are a transfer student And you can choose to whether play as a male or female character. And you're in this new town. And every night there is this weird phenomenon called the dark hour. And everyone around you suddenly turns into coffins. And it's this hour that takes place between right after midnight and the next day. And there's only a select few of you that can remain awake during that time. And most of you have personas. And then there are these weird monsters called shadows, which is obviously almost in every persona game. And it's up to you and your high school friends to figure out what in the heck is going on. And you have your, like I said, your personas, which are these, these think of these, like they're like inner manifestations of one's true self. And you're Teammates all have their one persona, but you, as the main character, have the ability to wield multiple personas. And I think, I don't even know, there's probably a few hundred of them in the game. And you earn new personas by battling. And then at the end of that, sometimes this is going to get weird. You're going to trigger something called shuffle time. And then you got to pick the right card. Time. I, yep. And then you have a new persona. <laughs> <It's> fine. <laughs> And then you can meld the cards together, sorry, fuse the cards is the right word, to create new Personas. So kind of has that fun addicting value to it. So if anyone's played a Persona game before, like this is all gonna sound very, very familiar to you. But the thing I wanted to really talk about with Persona 3 Portable, the portable version in particular, because the FES and the original game were a little bit different, this plays much more like a visual novel than it does an exploration game in the sense that you, the only environment that you'll be able to walk and run around in in a 3D manner is is going to be when you're in a place called, I think it's I think it's pronounced Tartarus. I might be butchering that, but essentially it's your high school that morphs into this huge labyrinth that meant during the dark hour full of shadows and there's... Hundreds of levels, I feel like it's about hundreds of levels, and you fight shadows and collect treasure and just advance higher and higher and higher. You fight bosses along the way. Every other location other than that, it's essentially a point-and-click a visual novel. So, you know, you'll be in the high school and you move your little cursor over. And this, I think, was done because again, this is a remaster of the portable game, which came out on the PSP, I think it was. Yeah. So it makes sense from that standpoint, but it does feel a little weird when you're not used to it because you're like, why am I doing this when I'm playing on this next gen console? It's because that's that's why it, it came from that platform back in the day. So with that said, like that turned me off at first, but I was quickly, quickly enamored with these characters. They're story- Stories of of loss and 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 but yet triumph, and they're all so incredibly well written. I played in Jap with the Japanese voice acting, you can play in English. The audio tracks do sound a little old and they get kind of poppy, but again, I think it's because it's you know an older game. So the characters and the story itself is absolutely worth playing if you're a fan of the Persona E formula. If you're not really a fan of that, if you're even more into typical JRPGs, like just it's on Game Pass, right? So if you can check it out in Game Pass, I think that's the perfect platform for this. And I will say, too, there are no cutscenes in this game. It's all just different animated character images. So, you know, there's like a sad animation, like a happy animation. By animation, I mean it's just a still but there's all the cutscenes that were in the original Persona game have been omitted from this version so like just kind of know what you're getting into but I loved this story I love this these characters that's kind of weird though right like why did Hmm. they do that they did it because again this was on the the PSP back in the day and it was probably a memory issue or something Mm. I don't really know
1: it's almost like PlayStation's original architecture was impossible to upgrade which is why backwards compatibility just is not a thing hey she's not Wrong. She's not
2: wrong. Yeah. So, anyway, like the TLDR is just no. You're getting more of a visual novel than anything. Although there is lots of fun gameplay. You do get to run around in that dungeon area I mentioned before. But and there's like no cutscenes, which is a shame because the cutscenes are really good. You can go on YouTube and watch them. There's an animated series based off of the game. Depending if you play male or female, you'll get different relationships and some different dialogue. It's a really, really good game. I had a blast with it. I'm so happy I took the time to play it. I couldn't put it down once I started it. Just, again, know what you're getting into. Make sure this is something that you think you'll enjoy. If you like Persona, go for it. You're going to love it. Just know, again, visual novel. Really fun game, though. I had a really good time. I loved it. One of my favorite. It's probably, like... I think I like this one more than Persona 5. So I think Ooh. Persona f- yeah. Hmm. And I think not that there's anything wrong with Persona 5, but for some reason, like these characters, and they're so well written again, and they have like such interesting backstories. And each one goes through personal growth. And there's so many emotional, tragic moments, but there's these moments of levity too. It's it's just really, really well done. One of the better stories in a video game. So Persona 3, Brad ass great bright game.
1: I love it. I love it. So I'm glad that you got your Brit-ass Brit game out of the way. Yeah. Because I feel like Dreamlight Valley would be a Brit-ass Brit game.
2: I'm intentionally staying away from that.
1: (laughs) I understand. And I feel like I should have for my own personal sanity and now potentially my marriage. Uh, <laughs> stayed away. So, a weekly reminder to take a shot. We're talking about Dreamland Valley, a game from Gameloft and, of course, Disney Inc. My husband works on this game, which he uh, tweeted a reminder to everybody about. He's like, this is my worst nightmare. My wife is tweeting about a game that I work on and she has thoughts. <laughs> like... <laughs> This is not the first time this has happened, but welcome to our relationship. So I don't want to like belabor it, but just like with Animal Crossing New Horizons, a game that I absolutely adored, sunk hundreds and hundreds of hours into, I've just got some, as I put it, constructive feedback that I would like to pass along. While well, the game is early access, and I know that they have an official Discord and all that, and I'm not the first person who has said this, but I had tweeted about the iron ingot drop rates. Because now <laughs> I just des- I decided to get to I know it's this is I'm trying not to get too in the weeds. For this conversation. I, I should have guessed. <laughs> Listen, here's the thing: Kay. I want my island to look cute. Part of a life sim like this game is trying to be is the decorating and the customization process. Obviously, they wouldn't sell all these things in Scrooge's shop if they didn't want you to buy them and then place them in your world. I mean, for crying out loud, Scrooge's whole friendship quest line is about placing items in the world. And did we all just randomly place like 10 bogus items and then pick them back up just to like check off the quest? Of course we did. No, I left them. It looks like garbage. (laughs) (laughs) Do you, you just left all the trash on each of the biomes? Oh, it's so
0: great. (laughs)
1: But, like, I love and I have said I love that this game gives so much gameplay. There's a ton of quests to do, a ton of character interaction, lots of great moments to happen with these wonderful characters from the Disney IP. But me being me is, like, I hate that I'm walking around my trash island. (laughs) I say island. It's a valley. It's, I don't know (laughs) what what you want to call it. my valley. (laughs) And I want it to look nice. It's got like helter-skelter like pathways and nothing is lined up right. There's all these rocks and trees in the way. And so I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to take a break from my quests. And I'm going to spend a dedicated amount of time like actually decorating on my section of, you know, Dreamlight Valley. Once I started down this path, it became clear to me very quickly that they have not yet optimized for people like me who want to just like go ham decorating Mm. and being creative. And I went to the Reddit, you know, as I do, longstanding ACNH Reddit member, and I went to the Dreamline Valley Reddit to be like, I need some inspiration from people more creative than me who have more time than I do. And I found some, but then when I went to try to implement some of these great ideas, I was immediately roadblocked by the crazy amount of resources that you need to grind for in order to get basic items. Mm-hmm. And that's where my frustration comes that's in. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Is that... Like, you as a game company have to, you know, decide how you're going to balance your in-game economy. And what my big concern is that we've talked about before is we don't know what it's going to be when this game goes free to play. It's currently in paid early access. They plan to take it free to play. They've said that. And so, well, what are they going to make people pay for? And I hope it's not these basic things. I hope it's the more expensive, exclusive, customizable or like cosmetic items that you get in Scrooge's shop. Like a fancy dress that's from like Belle's Universe or it's like a cool sweater from Encanto or from, you know, Wreck-It Ralph or wherever, right? Like that kind of stuff feels like it should be behind like a four-pay paywall because the studio has to get paid to make this stuff because Disney ain't free is what I've been told (laughs) from my husband. Um, Disney ain't free. Disney ain't free. You want to work with Disney? It's going to cost somebody. (laughs) Somebody has to pay. (laughs) Who that person is is up to the contract negotiation. <laughs> but when it comes to Dreamlight Valley and the type of gameplay that they've instilled feels bad man when they make things like pathways. So if I want to make like a sidewalk in my valley that isn't just like random grass, but if I want to put like down bricks to make a path to go between like Goofy's house and Mickey's house, I have to craft that with resources that I have to mine. And that sucks because the amount of resources it takes to make one square of pathway is outrageous. <laughs> it's outrageous uh, how much it takes. I looked at some of the cooler pathways, like I've unlocked like an opal and gemstone path, like a, like a literal like golden brick road path and it's literally one freaking gold ingot per square to do the golden brick road and i'm like who the fuck is gonna make a golden brick road then because it takes like three pieces of gold ore to make a single gold ingot and you know how long it takes to mine all of the fucking mining spots on the valley to, to get that many gold uh. ores to make a gold ingot i'm like who Who balanced that? Like, that's broken. And so I tweeted about how broken I think it is with the iron ingots in particular because everything cool to craft in the valley requires iron ingots. And some of the endgame quest lines require like 200 iron ingots, which requires... (laughs) hours of mining spots to get iron ore and anyway like I'm definitely down in the weeds now (laughs) I
2: I can empathize
1: because I get it I'm frustrated
2: I I understand you know I love my little farming sim games too and sometimes certain quests require you to make certain things and if it takes you 500 tries to get the thing you need it can be very frustrating I was giggling because I'm looking at your tweet and then I see that Felicia Day tripped in and she was like thank you also emeralds and then there is poor John Drake like four like responses (laughs) down he's like this is my nightmare. <laughs> and
0: then at the end That's what says, they wanted, right? Jesus, is this please. not what they wanted? Feedback.
2: <laughs> yeah. And then he sees um, the lead producer on Dream Life Valley. I didn't tell him to do that. He did that on said, his own volition. It says, "Please save my marriage." <laughs> <laughs> But this is is what you need to do, though. Like, this is good. This is a good thing. And I'm with you. I feel like this would be a really crappy thing for them to monetize if this is how they plan on making their money. Hopefully, like you said, it's just cosmetics and to just maybe pre-made paths. But then there's an incentive there to make them kind of hard to get anyway. So just stick to cosmetics.
1: Yeah. I just, I think that, you know, and I was talking with some people in my feed about how it's just stifles creativity. And I think that's what gave Animal Crossing such a robust community for so many years and why that game sold over 40 million copies because word of mouth spread of like, this game is fun and you can do things with your friends and you can swap designs. And there's this incredible community where you can like download free designs from people in the community. And it didn't feel like it was gatekept by microtransactions. And that's my fear of Dreamlight Valley is that it's going to be free to play. And because of that, they have to make money off of it somehow. And how are they going to do it? And right now it just feels egregious. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to want to pay a bunch of money just so I can put down pathways. It feels like, that just doesn't feel good. Like, yeah, yeah, sure. Like, put the cool cosmetics, like put Mirabelle's dress behind a paywall. Make it like a $5 buy or whatever. Sure, that makes sense to me. But things like, if you want to put up a fence... You have to mine resources for literally hours. I have to spend like seven to eight hours mining resources to build like a twenty-piece fence. Like that just that doesn't seem right to me. It seems broken. Yeah. So that's all. Just that's fair. Well, I know it's an early it's early access hmm They're still balancing. I am very Obviously, much I, I care enough about it that I'm complaining about it on the show, which means that I love it because I don't rant about things that I don't care about.
2: You guys know this. I'm invested in Ingot Gate is what we'll call this. <laughs> Ingot Gate. Gate. I like it. There we go. That's what we'll call it. And uh, I'm very anxiously looking forward to an
1: update. Thank you. Thank you very much. Ray. did you have anything to add to my rant?
0: No, you covered it all. (laughs) Yeah, we need more more materials.
1: That's
2: it. Just being a fantastic friend that she is in the background. Like, yeah, more materials.
0: I love you. I mean, it's true. It it takes forever to build anything. It sucks. (laughs) That's why I gave up and I just left trash all over my family. (laughs) We don't want trash valleys. We want beautiful Disney. That's, That's what the valleys. game is driving me towards. I'm just following their systems. Sorry. Love it.
1: Love don't it. make me. Don't make me make souffle from now until the end of time. Just so I have money to buy a freaking pair of pants. So many okay? fucking
0: souffles. And when you absolutely so buy like, one fewer egg than all the other ingredients. You're like, God damn it. <laughs>
2: I feel like Riki, you've always had problems with eggs in games. I remember in Animal Crossing, you had a thing with the eggs. <laughs> egg day. Egg, egg <laughs> day. Yeah. It well, that's over- coming
0: up. It, it, that's coming up. It overlapped with the freaking cherry blossom <laughs> event, and I'm still not over it. And I would like to move on, please. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, we shall move on.
1: Um, we do want to spend a little bit of this episode talking about this wonderful HBO series for The Last of Us. <sighs> Consider this your official warning for spoilers. If you are not caught up on the last of a series on HBO, you might want to not listen to the next segment of the show because we're going to talk about how we feel about it. And if you've played the games, we're spoiling nothing for you. But if you plan to watch the show, this I think is the first episode where they have departed mm-hmm. from where the narrative at was in the game and to what they decided to do in the show. So you have officially been warned. Spoiler warning, done. Who cried? I we cried. all cried, right? Oh. The
0: whole almost the whole episode. <laughs>
1: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this episode was so good. But also, we didn't talk about episode two because it was, you know, last week. But I also liked episode two, but I thought online it was a little divisive. I what loved was divisive?
2: I was just going to give a shout out to the beginning of episode two where they have that oh, – were they in Indonesia? Was that – is that – Yeah, Jakarta. Jakarta. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was – I love how they started the series, right, with that interview on stage. And then they had that little segment at the beginning of the second episode. I just love how they're also rooting this in as much science as possible. Because it is kind of a terrifying thought when you watch this. You're like, oh, crap. Like, they're not just pulling this stuff out of their ass. And if you watch every episode until the very end, You know they they go into again like the research they've done and the things they took into consideration and it it was eerie that part of it was eerie but anyway yeah let's just talk about episode three because I feel like that's the one that I have the most to talk say about I think that was one and again I don't watch a lot of TV so take my opinion with a grain of salt but I think that was one of the best episodes of TV I've seen that was just from beginning middle to end it was beautiful and. There's part of me that's like, okay, so wait. So we just took an entire episode and told a story between – a love story between two men. And at first, I'm like, how does this build upon the series? Like, how does this benefit the story between Joel and Ellie? And then the more I thought about it, I was like, it's world building is what it is. And it it really sets the tone for – and it gives you a different perspective of two survivors and what the world was like for them to live in. And so when Joel does get to Bill and Frank's house – and they are gone, and there is that note there. Us knowing what they went through and Joel reading that note and now kind of feeling like, you know, they want me to protect Tess, Tess is no longer here, all I have is Ellie... I really like, I think, how that impacted him as a character because obviously that's not how it went down in the game. So anyway, like that's like my TLDR thoughts. And I'd love to hear your guys' as well. But uh, I just loved it. It was just such a beautiful story. It's a beautiful episode. So I
1: want to give a big shout out to – not that they're listening or will ever listen to this <laughs> podcast. But to Nick Offerman and Murray Bartlett, the two lead actors in this episode playing Bill and Frank – I, we already knew that Nick Offerman was going to be playing Bill, but I think Murray Bartlett's role as Frank was a real turn for me in a very positive way because obviously in the games, we never get to meet Frank. For all we know, Frank is a giant a hole and, like, you know, Bill actually hates him. And I think that these two actors played this episode so wonderfully. And it saddens me that there are people out there who are making it their mission to take this episode down for whatever... Reason they've decided to cook up in their mind, whether they think it's a ploy at positive LGBTQ representation, whether they think it's, you know, some kind of woke agenda, even though, like, the kind of hilarity of, as you mentioned, of like, this was in the original game. If you found it, that they had this relationship, if you missed it, that's on you, bro. Oh, yeah. Um, but, like, it saddens me that what I think is such a beautiful love story is being taken to task by people who are just mad about it. And I'm like, are you mad? because you don't have a Frank in your life and a Bill in your life. Is that, is that what you're mad I mean, about? Because yeah, that was my takeaway when I was sobbing at the end of the episode. And they were like, it was more like happy tears, I think, than sad tears. Because yeah. I think when I first started seeing people tweet about like, oh my gosh, episode three made me cry. I was like, oh no, does something really tragic and gross happen? Like I'm worried. And then instead it was, Don't we all wish we could have that ending? It reminded me of how hard I cried at the end of The Notebook of all fucking things. just like they are like holding each other at the end it's like of a of life well lived and somebody that you care about and you don't want to go without them and so they go together and I'm just like <laughs> oh my god, it was awful it, and great at the same time it
2: was and just for some context what we know about Frank from the game is that he was I think bitten by a bunch of infected and on his way back instead of going to bills he hung himself and you eventually do find his corpse and a, and well it's I guess a suicide note is what you would call it and in that note he does say how he hates bill's guts and he didn't like the way he managed the town and that is all we know about the bill and frank relationship but yes like bill does call frank his partner and if you want to be like oh partner you know what he meant when he said partner why are these people acting so oblivious and ellie is gay like that's the thing everyone's like oh two game ellie yeah. is gay and she's like the, she's the main character here i don't know people are just fucking weird internet was a mistake
0: I mean yeah criticisms aside whether or not you like that gay people survive the apocalypse it is such an incredible love story like like granted it has some really really great commentary in contrast to Joel and Tess's relationship and the fact that he in front of Bill is not even able to bring himself to acknowledge her as his partner he's like, assumedly lost the the mother of his child. He's lost his child. Like, like loss is hard for Joel, and so attaching himself to people is clearly not something he's interested in doing. But regardless, he is attached to Tess, right? And Bill picks up on that. Of course, Joel calls out, like, "Oh, these are this is your lives. Like, you and Frank are a unit. Like, you have somebody you care about too." They're very much the same, right? They, they draw parallels between the two characters as soon as they meet. And it's a really hilarious scene. <laughs> when mm-hmm. They're just full of tension and not trusting each other fully, but are clearly, you know, coming from the same place. They, they want to protect what they've reluctantly come to love and cherish. And I think one of the best moments for me is when you see at the end of the episode when Ellie and Joel come to the house and Ellie finds the note and she's reading through it. And she gets to the part where Bill is referencing Referencing, like use whatever you ha- you can find here to protect. Tess. Like, like he writes the, Mm -hmm. writes the name down and Ellie doesn't read it out loud. You just see Joel reading it when he takes a letter from her and he becomes so overwhelmed with emotion. This is like the first time since, you know, we saw the death of Sarah that we've seen him that emotional and he has to leave the house. Like he's just, I can't even deal with it. Like he's just so moved and Mm -hmm. so saddened and heartbroken because assumedly these are his only real friends left, right? First of all. And second of all, he realizes once again, what he's just lost, like Hours ago. Right. Like, keep in mind that this isn't 10 years gap between when we saw Tess's unfortunate end and when they come to the house, this is the same day. So it's just really, it's so touching. I'm trying not to get emotional. It's very touching. On top of seeing this beautiful love story, we saw this incredible story of loss right after that. And he immediately looks at Ellie and says, okay, well, like, let's go. Let's make a car battery and get out of here. Like, I'm I'm in it. Like, this is the moment where he commits to the journey. And it was just such a such a great way to tell that, that story in parallel. And I just want to call out a couple of things. But number one, shout out to Peter Hoare, the person who directed this episode, He's done some incredible things. He did the Netflix Daredevil series. He did uh, well Iron Fist as well, but also the Umbrella Academy and Cloak and Dagger and Altered Carbon and some things that I truly, truly love. And the style of this episode was just so it was just dripping with authenticity and in heart and even down to when you see Bill playing the piano and he turns to Frank and you're not sure if that's a true love connection or if they're just interested in people or if they're just like oh wow I found another human being who knows this song what are the odds of that and Frank sheds a tear like like, mm-hmm. there's just so many really touching moments within the love story that don't even have anything to do with their relationship it's really the ins- strawberry scene okay so Aww. I have a note about the strawberry scene too besides the fact that it's just brilliant <laughs> and like you can even tell they we're just arguing because Frank is like, I just sold a gun. It's one of the small ones. I don't care. Like, Bill is clearly pissed off. <laughs> like, what did you give away? Resource management. And you can see they're not not—they're not perfect, right? And no two people are. But a note about the strawberries in particular, uh, a friend of mine, Andrew Kuhar, on Twitter wrote about this. He said, as a gardener who's grown strawberries, they actually have something in common with the themes of connection being explored through fungi or mycelium. Strawberries will take over your entire yard if unchecked. They produce runners that grow laterally, creating new plants and they won't produce fruit at the size that they were eating them in the show until the second year of bearing fruit so Frank has spent years making this strawberry patch for Bill and oh. the fact that when he sees it like Bill immediately drops the argument he's like okay this is amazing and he just laughs and And Frank pulls him so far out of that shell that he has clearly dug himself in for decades in order to get to this point where he could survive the apocalypse and And he becomes the reason for, for Bill to keep surviving and In living instead of just existing. And the line, oh my God, you were my purpose. Like, come fuck on, man. (laughs) Yeah, my God
2: it was so oh, sweet the joy was on their so faces sweet. when they bit into those strawberries it was just such a pure moment oh. and at, at the end you know neil Druckmann said you you know we have like a, a policy or whatever i'm paraphrasing essentially if it's not going to be better than the original game we're not going to do it mm-hmm. and this was better because in the original game i remember now bill was actually you know frank was actually leaving bill like he was like i'm yeah. gone yeah that's what it was right he was like i'm getting the fuck out of here i don't like the way you run shit and i'm taking stuff I'm going, but in this, it was just such a better fucking... I, I want this as like a side DLC. Like, just patch the whole series. Can we just patch the whole yeah. series and make this canon? <laughs>
0: Please. Just let me be the flower gardener and play as Frank for two yes! years.
1: Oh, God, it was so good.
0: So good. It was so good.
1: And if you're not watching the, like, inside the episode after the credits roll... It's such an amazing opportunity to hear from Neil Druckmann about his, where he as a creator and obviously like the head of Naughty Dog interacts with the HBO showrunner and like the choices that they make and why they choose to make different choices in the show versus what was in the game. And I think as somebody who's a fan of Naughty Dog and obviously who absolutely respects them and their creative process. It's really interesting to hear, like, the choices that they have to make because (laughs) a lot of people, like, take to the internet forums to talk about, like, I'm mad about this choice. But it's like, well, did you listen to the explanation about why – they made the choice because they've been a, they've been doing a good job about explaining like why they've made some of these big choices. Mm-hmm. And you know, Neil's explanation for this episode was like this storyline was better. Yeah. And he was like, this was just a better storyline. It was like, why does Bill need to be this like angry guy all the time when he can find somebody that sees him for what he is and loves him for what he is? And it's like we all just want that, you know? And I think it's such a like you said, it's a it's a it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful love story that was wonderfully acted and directed. And you know what, if you're mad about it, (laughs) maybe your life is so good that you can be mad about this. Maybe you should take a look at your life and go, I should be grateful maybe that my life is so good that I can be that mad about this episode of fucking
0: television. <laughs> I'll also say it was a welcome moment to have like, of course there, there's not as much killing in the show as there is in the game because it would make you feel like, wow, these are psychos. <laughs> <laughs> yes. People don't do that. <laughs> but what was really great is, at this point in the series where, you know, it's episode three, we've seen the aftermath of some shootouts, but we haven't really had one yet, honestly. Really just establishing the groundwork for like this story. Yes, there is a pandemic that there are monsters, but it's about the people who are left, right? It's about the last of us. It's not going to be creep show. You're, you're, of course, we'll have some of those moments, and there will be some jump scares and fights. But it's really about what do you do with life after everything we know that we think is important is gone? And it's just showing you, like, the one thing that there is still to live for, for sure, is which is like one of the main themes of the whole game. And like, mm-hmm. do you protect yourself from love, or do you just? Give yourself up to it and fuck the rest of the world.
1: Ah, it's so good. so good. Can't wait to see more. Yeah, I am wanting you know some some good action and like the makeup so far in oh, this yeah. series has been ridiculous. The way that they have recreated the infected like, because <laughs> there's like this short moment with Ellie and how she, they're I'm like, also it's like, it's wild how they have so wonderfully recreated shots from the game. Oh, yeah. Like they walked into this store <clears throat> to do some like scavenging where Joel is going after his stash that's hidden. And I was like, I I remember like walking into that environment in the game, mm-hmm. you know? And then Ellie like opens this trap door and like goes down there and she like finds this infected. That's clearly like immobile and, she does, like, weirdly, like, slice it up a little bit before she stabs it. But the makeup, the
0: makeup is incredible. Yeah. it is. Yeah. It's also really sweet to see Ellie's innocence because she's obviously a very hardened character in the show, maybe even a little bit more so than the game. But she's like, you got to go in the sky and like yeah. looking at the inside of a truck. They change this from the game. It's like a spaceship. It's yeah, like it's like a spaceship. Yeah. It was just really sweet and endearing. And I, I felt like it was a nice contrast to what we've seen so far of the character who's just very tough and sour. It's <laughs> very sassy. But yeah, that was sweet. And even after seeing, you know, that horror story of like the mass grave and that people immediately just turn to shit. <laughs> as we can imagine might happen. It was great to just see that she still finds joy and wonder in the world.
1: But now do we all have to become preppers? Is the question.
0: <laughs> Dude. <laughs> well, that's what, there was a story out. I forget where it was, but something about like, there is a specific fungus that is now like surviving higher temperatures and everyone's like, oh God, no, it's happening.
1: No, yeah. I didn't see that. Don't tell me. I want to remain ignorant until I die. Yes. Well, <laughs> we'll just all eat pancakes every day so that it takes us out
0: first. <laughs> Sure, that sounds great. (laughs)
1: that was good pancakes every day until death does not sound like a bad way to go oh my goodness okay well I love that we get to do this you know we can't spend every week talking about it though we could uh, maybe we just make a second show about it but if you guys want to hear more of our thoughts on The Last of Us and you're watching it let us know in the comments spoiler free comments of course keep it safe for everybody tweet to us you can always email us at contact at what's let us know if you guys want to hear more if you're interested in the conversation and maybe when the season over we can do like a full Ooh. dedicated episode. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. It could, be, uh, it could be great. And on that note, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you once again to all of our elite patrons. If you guys want to get the show ad-free, patreon.com slash what's good games. If you don't have a couple dollars to throw away, support us by leaving us a five-star review as Brittany highlights at the top of every episode on your podcast platform of choice. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow us on Twitch. Follow us on TikTok. I finally made our TikTok account. Hey. I thought I had one. Turns out we did not But now we do at what's good games, everybody. We're going to start trying to post some videos there and on Instagram, what's good underscore games or what's good games official on Instagram. And hopefully you can support us by interacting with us and, you know, being part of our community online instead of giving us a couple dollars. Every little bit helps. We love y'all. Enjoy the rest of your weekend or your week whenever you are listening to this episode. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody.